0: Okay, it's great to be back. We missed everybody last Sunday. Of course, we were in North Carolina and stuff. And uh, and we'll be getting together with, with Pat and the um, other elders about our ISEA, International Society of Christian Apologetics Conference, our, our regional conference up here. It's just, uh, you know, defending the Bible as God's word without error. and um, And there's so many scholars and seminaries that have gone astray on that so just be in prayer uh for that that would be uh that would be a good thing now we're in philippians uh chapter 4 i'm hoping we're going to be able to finish it today so that maybe next sunday we could uh preach a message on uh, christ's death and then the sunday after is easter on on christ's resurrection and then we'll get into the book of colossians after that so uh, so if you open up to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll be starting at verse 10, and as you're turning there, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, it's uh, so good, Lord, for brothers and sisters in Christ to get together in fellowship and to, to pray together, to sing praises and to worship you and to study your word. And so I am grateful, Lord, that... Uh, that we can still freely do that in this country. Uh, but we know that the day might come, we might have to meet in secret in the homes. And when that day comes, Lord, just give us the courage and the boldness uh, to be all that you called us to be in that area. Today, Lord, I, I pray that you know that everybody that's here, they came here to, to hear the word of God. They didn't come here to, he, to hear the faulty, often deceptive wisdom of man. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that you would anoint me and empower me by your spirit to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray that you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and empower us by your spirit to apply these truths to our lives, to obey your word, and to be all that you called us to be through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. Uh, we love you, Lord. We just pray that you would help us to love you more and place you and your son and your spirit as the priority in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. amen. Now, I've got the handout notes over there on the uh, table, and, uh, but I titled today's message, Be Content and Generous. Be content and generous. You know, Paul's been saying throughout, the epistle of Philippians that he wants us to rejoice always. Well, if you're not content, you can't rejoice. You're, you, you've got to be satisfied with where you're at and be content and not covet what others have um, if you're going to uh, have God's joy. So be content and be generous is what Paul talks about here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. Now, the introduction that we have here is a good overview of some of the key points that we learn uh, from the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul, Paul while in prison, he still rejoices that Jesus has preached, even though some guys are preaching with the wrong motives, out of selfishness, rather than for the Lord and for others. But Paul in prison, he rejoices that the true Jesus of the Bible is is being preached. How much do we rejoice when God's word is being preached? Paul knew that maybe the Romans they might want to execute him. He wasn't sure if he was going to be executed or if uh, he was going to be released. And so he said, "To live is Christ, and to die is gain." And we've got to have that attitude going through life. That if I die right now, that's gain. I'm going to be ushered into Jesus' presence and I'll be with Jesus forever and ever, okay? To die is gain, but it's God's call when I die. So if God wants to wait another 30 years before taking me home, then to live is Christ. Not to live is, you know, my agenda, my goals, what I want to do and build my own kingdom. No, you live for Jesus. Jesus, if you're a true believer, Jesus is your life. Okay? You used to live for yourself, but that you is dead. The old you, the old man, the old woman was nailed to the cross with, with, with Jesus. And now you're a new creation in Christ. And to live is Christ. You know, uh, Think about it, at the end of the day, think about what you did during that day. What you thought, what you did, what you said. And then say, for me to live is Christ. And then stop for a minute and think, does that sound like you were telling the truth? Can you really say that yesterday you lived for Jesus? You know, or did you act like, no, I'm too important for people and this and that? Or did you reach out to people, even when nobody's looking, and love people and serve people and share Jesus with others? So to live is Christ. Jesus is our life. Paul tells us uh, believers to be united in Christ, and that can only happen if we're humble. You know, it's our job to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt us, James 4.10. You can reverse that, though. Exalt yourself in the presence of the Lord; He will humble you. You know, you think you're a celebrity, you think you're a hotshot. You're just begging. You're begging the Lord take you to, to the woodshed and give you a in there. Okay, and um, but be humble. Put others' needs before your own. Be united in Christ. The only way we could be united in Christ, we have to all have the mind of Christ—not our own mind, not our own agenda. But our agenda is God's agenda. It's called the kingdom of God. Okay? And, uh, and so if we, if, to, if for us to live is Christ, then being united in Christ will not be difficult for us. Then we're to do all things without complaining, and we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And, you know, keep, keep in mind, some of us, if you're from Messis County, New Jersey, and you're at least half Italian, like I am, sometimes I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and it sounds like I'm complaining. Because it's kind of like, uh, it's like our own language, our own terminology. So just get to know people before you say, man, that guy complains all the time. You know, just sometimes, you know, some cultures the glass is always half empty and it's got a leak. And um, and so, uh, uh, but we got to do all things without complaining. And rejoice in the Lord always. We have to put no confidence in the flesh. If you're thinking, you know, Lord, I've got so much to offer for you. I, I can obey you in my own strength. You're putting confidence in the flesh. you got to wake up in the morning and say, except for the grace of God, I could be the next Adolf Hitler. Okay? And, uh, and so you put no confidence in the flesh. Even if you had a lot of big accomplishments, we should count our past accomplishments as trash when compared to being in Christ. And then the, you know even if you had really good accomplishments, a lot of us had like really big failures, but some of us had really good accomplishments in the past it's still that's that's yesterday yesterday's victories are today's mediocrity okay so uh don't look back you got to press forward, okay don't be thinking about well in in uh, the year two thousand, I went to such and such a place and Defended the gospel or whatever. Hey, that was 2,000. That was good, okay? But you got to move on. you got to press on. You don't look back. You press forward, okay? you got to be all that God called you to be. Press on toward the upward call of the prize in Christ Jesus. Uh, be all that God called you to be. We've got to remember that our true citizenship is in heaven. We've got to set our minds on heavenly things. We're going to find our citizenship in this country going down the tubes. I mean, I think just in the last year alone, um, the dollar lost 14 cents. I don't know about you, but I didn't get a 14% raise this last year. So our money's becoming more and more, you know, it's coming becoming worth less and less. And... Um, And so we've got to recognize, you know, you you can try to build your own little kingdom here on earth. When that comes down, you've got to recognize, wait a minute, my citizenship isn't here. This is temporary. If i got to suffer for 70, 80 years on the planet earth, that's not the end of the world. (sighs) Because I serve a different king. I have a citizenship in heaven. I belong to King Jesus. You know, there's a lot of guys out there, you know, want to rule the world and push us around. And the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, they want to um, uh, re um, what do they call it? Reset the Great Reset. Reset the world's economy. What that means is taking from the American middle class and giving it to dictators of other countries, and um, and all the the rich, power-hungry individuals go along good. And, and if you think, well, that's, that's just the world economic forum. Who cares about that? Yeah, well, if you listen closely to President Biden, his Build Back Better is all part of the Great Reset. Okay? So you could find your citizenship in America not even guaranteeing that you, your next meal is going to come in. And so you gotta, you got to acknowledge, i got to acknowledge, I'm a citizen of heaven. I serve King Jesus. And Claus Schwab or Bill Gates or George Soros, whoever you don't intimidate me. I pity you. Because it's not you come after, after Jesus' people, you're coming after Jesus. You know, if there's anything I've learned in life, I've only been on this planet 62 years, I'm still relatively a young guy. But uh, if there's anything I've learned, you mess with King Jesus you lose, okay? And uh, Jesus loves us. He's our Savior, but he's still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, uh, and our citizenship is in heaven, so we should set our minds on heavenly things. We're going to have a lot of choices to make in the near future, whether we're going to choose Jesus or the ways of the world. And um, I, would, I would encourage you as your pastor, choose Jesus. And um, set your mind on heavenly things. Be gentle to others, loving, forgiving, encouraging. Um, don't worry or get stressed. Instead, pray to God with thanksgiving. As bad as you think you got it, it could be worse. Okay, you could say, well, Pastor Phil, what if I'm the poorest person on the planet Earth and I'm starving to death and I've got an incurable disease? You know, I'm, are you a believer? Yes, Well, you could, it could be worse. You could be going to hell. <laughs> You know, so be thankful. You know, there should be, I'll be honest with you, there should be no such thing as a prayer without thanksgiving. Okay? Prayer without thanksgiving shows that you're uh, you're uh, taking God for granted and you're ignoring all the good things that he's done for you and now you're just uh, acting like uh, you've never done anything for me Oh, woe is me, why am I in the mess I'm in, and this and that. And you gotta, you got to pray with thanksgiving. And when you do that, God's peace will overwhelm you as you petition God with thanksgiving. Then we're told to meditate on the pure things of God's truth, God's beauty, and God's goodness. And we're to follow godly examples, like follow Paul's example. Follow Timothy's example or Epaphroditus. Paul gives us examples to follow. But now we come to verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4 and Paul now closes this letter. He's going to commend the Philippians for their generous giving to his ministry. Okay? Um, I want to tell you the giving in this church has been off the charts. I just It amazes me. And, um, uh, you know, guys at the Bible study were asking, how come we never take collections, and how come we never tell anybody that the donation box is in the back? And they just, when I first got saved, I was around guys, self-guys who were self-proclaimed prophets, who were getting money off of people who were pretty poor. and, And I just didn't want to be like them. And I'm not saying churches that take collections, Paul took collections. Uh, I'm not saying that's bad. And, and and pastors that ask for money on a regular basis, maybe they have to, I don't know. But um, all I know is I just leave that in the Lord's hands. That's between you and the Lord. Uh, but the guys did, I did get kind of convicted. Um, the fact that if... If I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God, it does have to, part of your walk with the Lord is giving. And so I'll give you a little bit of a scriptural advice on that when we come to the passage. But Paul commends the Philippians for their generous giving to his ministry. They not only supported his ministry when he was with them, they also supported his ministry when he was in another town. And they supported his ministry when he was in prison. And so he commends them for that. But he, in the process, he also teaches the Philippians about contentment, being content. And we're going to talk about that because you could, you could get that wrong, you know, and um, we don't want to get that wrong. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about the biblical teaching of contentment, that if you're in God's will, that's if, if you're in God's will, you should be content with whatever your social status is, whatever social class you're in, okay? and um, But that's if you're in God's will. If you're not in God's will, you better get in God's will first, okay? And, um, and then uh, Paul's going to send the Philippians greetings and a blessing. So that's what we're going to look at how Paul closes this letter. So look at verses 10 to 13 of Philippians 4, Paul teaches the Philippians to be content in Christ, and that goes for us too. We need to be content in Christ. Oh, if I just had a bigger house. Oh, if we just had an extra car. Oh, if I just had a better job. Hey, it's it's okay to try to improve yourself and take care of your family through the power of God, but you got to be content. you got to be satisfied with where you are if you're in God's will. And so... Verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. So they were starting to support his ministry again. There was a little a little break in that. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So they didn't have the opportunity to support him at one point. Uh, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is probably quoted out of context more than any other verse in the Bible today other than Matthew 7.1. That's a whole other... Story, but uh, we've got some cultural, uh, I don't know if you call them myths, urban myths, urban, le- urban legends based on misinterpreting scriptures, but we'll talk about that. What does it mean that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Well, here, Paul uh, rejoiced that the Philippians supported his ministry whenever they were able to do so. Now, keep in mind, when Paul would show up In a town, he'd preach in the synagogues, and any of the Jews that would come to Christ, he'd try to find is, does anybody have a tent making business? You got a tent making business? Hire me. I'll work full time for you to support my needs, and then I'll preach on the side. And the Sabbath days, he'd preach in the synagogues until they would let him know, Paul, we we don't uh, appreciate your ministry, your preaching, your message. They would, uh, they would you know, make it obvious, they would bounce rocks off his head and things like that, so he'd get the memo, okay, I need to shake the dust off my sandals, and go to the marketplace, and now as the apostle to the Gentiles, now I'm going to preach to the Gentiles. Okay, But Paul would work as a tent maker until his buddies, Timothy and Silas, or whoever else it was back then, once they showed up, then they took on full-time jobs, and that enabled Paul to preach. So you could just imagine what some financial aid would do for Paul. I mean, the Jerusalem apostles, the church on day one, three thousand converts—they had enough money so that so when some of the widows, some of the widows were not uh, not being fed, the apostles delegated that authority because they said, "We got to devote our time to the study of God." and God's word and prayer, okay? So whatever the case, uh, Paul appreciated uh, their supporting his ministry, Uh, yet Paul could still tell them, look, I'm content. Paul was content during good days and bad days. I mean, that's what it means to rejoice always. He keeps commanding us in this letter, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. You cannot rejoice if you are not content, okay? If you're dissatisfied with what you have, you're not going to have joy. You're going to covet the things that others have. You're going to want more. You're going to say, why me, Lord? Why me? Like you're the only guy who's suffering, okay? and uh, But Paul was content. He was satisfied with what God gave him during the good days and the bad days, so he could rejoice always. Now keep in mind, who is talking? This is Paul. This is very, very, very important. Okay? This is Paul saying he's, he's content. I have heard Christian brothers who decided they didn't want to work, okay, and they had a wife and six or seven kids And so they put their whole family on welfare and they said things like the Lord will provide and they said, I'm content. You shouldn't be content, dude. You're out of God's will. I'm talking about a healthy guy who was doing this. Okay? That wasn't the Lord will provide. That was the U.S. taxpayers will provide. Okay? And um, so you got to recognize if you're pumping gas... They don't do it here, but I think they do it in Oregon. If you're pumping gas and you're content, okay, before I'm gonna say, praise God, that's what God wants you, God wants you to be content. I gotta make sure God's called him to pump gas. Nothing wrong with pumping gas, by the way. Okay? But suppose the guy who's pumping gas in Oregon, God called him to be the president of the United States. And he said, no, I like a simple, easy life. I know that's a lot of work to be the president. I'd rather pump gas. That guy should not be content. Now, let me say this. Probably most of the presidents that we've had during my lifetime would probably have been in God's will had they pumped gas. Okay? So, so if, you're, if you're the president of the United States, you live in a White House, you should not be content if that's not what God called you to So you got to be, number one, you got to be in God's will first. And if you're in God's will, you know, some guy, like, oh, I, I want to preach the gospel all over the world. I'm going to be a missionary uh, to tribal peoples in Australia. Great. Well, get in God's will. But then don't say, well, you know, I'm only making like $600 a month and I live in a hut. Uh, you know, be content. If you're in God's will, be content with what you have. And um, God's going to call some of us, like John the Baptist, to a life of poverty. But John the Baptist was in God's will, and he died without a dime in his bank account. Now, notice, he didn't get married. If he got married, then it's like, hey, it's not just me eating locust and wild honey. I don't think John the Baptist would have found a lady, friend, who'd want to live in the wilderness eating locust and wild honey. I don't think she'd put up with his schedule. The, the dude was just, you know, and um, and so you get married, it's like, okay, now my number one ministry before the Lord is my family. I got to take care of them. And and that's going to entail, you know, things like life insurance and setting some funds aside and, and, uh, and you recognize that it could all be gone. You know, you could have, there are people in this church that just amaze me in their financial discipline. So, I mean, if they lost their job today, they could, on paper, take care of their family for 50 years after they die. You know? You still got to recognize who's to say that some corrupt political leader takes control and takes all that money that you set aside. So you just do the best you can. My... My problem is not um, I'm not, my fear, if you want to call it that, my concern um, is not that I take care of my my wife and my loved ones for generations to come. My concern is that I do what God's called me to do in that area so that if everything gets taken away from us and that was out of our control, I can still sleep good at night. But if I blow it on my own, if I want to look for who to blame, I just got to look in the mirror. Okay? But this idea be content, yes. You got to first get in God's will, be content with God's will for your life. And Paul was obeying God's will, so he was content with his social status. Sometimes that meant being hungry. Okay? Other times that meant having a full belly at some Christian potluck. You know, I'm telling you, when we have potlucks, I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm, You know, I'm getting the kind of meals Bill Gates gets, but I'm getting it for free, you know? I'm just sitting there and shoveling it in. But, you know, if I were serving the Lord on the foreign mission field, there might be some days without food. We're going to have days without food here in America soon. Okay? And um, that's all right. Our citizenship is not on earth. Um, but Paul obeyed God's will, and he was content with the social status. So never be content with mediocrity. Okay? Never be content with mediocrity. Find and obey god 's will for your life, and then when you 're in god 's will after that, you be content with your social status okay um, I joking around at thrive thrive had a fundraiser it 's a ministry to young adults last night, and a guy a guy 's an engineer this guy 's making good money, okay but he told me he he really wants to be a missionary and um and I, I looked at him and smiled and I said, uh, uh, I said, man, it's some good money in missionary work. And every, everybody there started laughing because we know this guy's going to go from like making 80 grand a year down to like, you know, $800 a month. and He's going to have to take a vow to poverty to become a missionary. But if that's what God's called him to do, you, you're not content with mediocrity. Mediocrity might be being an engineer. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field. Then again, mediocrity might be on the mission field if God hasn't called you there. Maybe God wanted you to be an engineer. And uh, I got one of my former students, had him from 8th grade through 12th grade, and I always thought he was going to be a preacher, but he said, no, I'm going to be an engineer. And he studied some kind of engineering, got a high-paying job at the shipyard, married a young gal, rolling in the bucks. She was a nurse, full-time nurse. And then he got the call to the ministry. And Crosby Chapel uh, asked him to be their youth pastor. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but they did the math and figured out the wife, on the wife's salary, he could afford to be a youth pastor. Most guys can't afford to be a youth pastor. and uh, But now he's their assistant pastor, so I'm sure he's making more money, and the day will probably come when he'll be the senior pastor. Um, But there's that balance. You know, um, he had the high paying job as an engineer, but he saw God was calling him to the ministry and it's going to drastically change his life, but he and his missus got together and prayed about it and now he's the assistant pastor um, over there. So find and obey God's will for your life. Don't be content with mediocrity, but once you're in God's will for your life, be content with social status. Um, God's going to call some of us to be rich and others to be poor. So be in God's will and then be content. Never be content outside of God's will. Okay? But find God's will if you like. Now, a lot of people will ask, and I really don't have this in the notes, so I'll just give you an overview from decades of studying God's word. Um People ask me, how do I find God's specific will for my life when nowhere does the Bible tell me what that is? So here's the key. Through the power of God and for God's glory, obey God's general will for your life. When you obey God's general will, his will for all believers, eventually... God's going to be changing your desires, and you're going to begin to desire what He desires for you, and you're going to start finding God's specific will for your life. This is spelled out in many different passages in the Scriptures, like Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. So if you make the Lord your greatest joy, God will begin to change your desires so that you will begin to desire for yourself what God desires for you, okay? And it, delight yourself in the Lord; He'll give you the desires of your heart. Doesn't mean you're gonna you can claim a Corvette in Jesus' name. No, uh, it means you make the Lord your greatest joy. Your outlook on life changes drastically. You take on the mind of Christ, and you begin to desire for yourself what He desires for you. But you know. Two guys come to me for counseling one guy uh, he's not obeying god 's general will, the other guy he is obeying god 's general will for his life. The guy who's obeying god 's general will he's, he says um, you know i don 't know what god 's specific will for my life is i said well what what do you desire i 'm going to ask him, "What do you desire?" and um, the guy might say what?" Well, Kind of feel led to be a preacher someday. i like, hey, let's see if we can help you get the training for that or whatever it may be. But you're obeying God's general will and you're looking for God's specific will, I'm going to ask you what you desire. Another guy walks in my office. I don't even have an office. I don't know why I'm here, But another guy comes to me for counsel and uh, he's not obeying God's general will. The guy's a moral mess, a spiritual mess, a moral mess. And he says, I want to find God's specific will for my life. The last thing on earth I'm going to ask that guy is, what do you desire? Because I don't even want to talk about the garbage stuff that's going to come out of his mouth. Okay? My, my thing is going to be, hey, don't be thinking about being the next Billy Graham and filling up football stadiums to preach the gospel if you can't even love your wife. If you can't even treat people like Jesus would treat them and see people through Jesus' eyes. So you got to obey God's general will, make the Lord your greatest desire, and you obey God's general will through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory, and that's going to change the way you think. It's going to change what you desire. And, um, and then you get yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit in God's will, and once you're in God's will... By the way, that's the only place that you can rejoice. The only joy there is is in God's will. I used to get a lot of that for counseling. People asking me to do magic, uh, come up with a magic formula. You know, they basically, add, they don't realize it, but they're asking me, how can I experience God's joy while remaining outside of God's will? And I've actually told guys, dude, I don't do magic. Okay? There is no joy outside of God's will. You can have some kind of pseudo happiness, but there is no joy outside of God's will. And so, God's going to call some of us to be rich and others to be poor. He's going to be the the more we have, the more responsible we're going to be with what we do with that. Um, but be in God's will and then be content. Uh, never be content out, whether rich or poor, never be content out to be outside of God's will. There's no satisfaction outside of God's will. Get in God's will through the power of the Holy Spirit and, uh, and then be content with where God has you. Um, it's got to be to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor and some local pastors will be getting praise for doing great work for the Lord. Well then, I got a choice to make. Can I say, "Why him and not me?" What did that guy do? You know, he doesn't worked as hard as me, and this and that, and blah blah blah. Why does he get this and why does he get that? Or I can respond, "Praise God." The guy's preaching the word. Not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. Uh, he's serving God. Praise God. I rejoice. With those who rejoice, and I weep with those who weep, and uh, and I got to be content. You know, um, uh, there's some pastors. Uh, well, put it to you this way: a pastor of a smaller church, okay, um, should be content with the smaller church if the power if the pastor and his people are being all that God called them to be. Just be content where God finds you. Now, if the pastor of a smaller church is pastoring a smaller church because he's lazy and there's things that could be done for the church to grow, that's a whole other thing. Um, but, um, but you're going to find, I'm telling you, you're going to find wealthy people, celebrities. Uh, I don't think Will Smith is content with his life. I'm not going to talk about recent events. I don't think he's content with his life. And he shouldn't be, by the way. He's outside of God's will. And, um, but um, uh, Mike Tyson won the heavyweight championship. He wasn't content with his life, and he went down the tubes. But, uh, but if, you're in, if you're saved and you're in God's will, uh, then be content wherever you have. And that's where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, he's not saying, look, I can claim a Corvette in Jesus' name and get it. it it's, it's not name it and claim it, okay? Paul is saying, look, I can survive and thrive in all circumstances. Why? Because Jesus is my strength. Amen. So this verse is often taken out of context. It doesn't mean name it and claim it. That's a heresy. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous in this life. Okay? Um, But instead of name it and claim it, it's Lord, your will be done, not my will be done. That's what this passage is talking about. Paul can dispassionately accept whatever circumstances he was in through Christ's power. Paul could be at a Christian potluck, preaching the gospel far away from home, and have a full belly and say, praise God. But he could also be in some city preaching the gospel and they're bouncing rocks off his head. And he could say, praise God. Paul and Silas could sing praise songs to God at midnight in a Philippian jail. That's contentment. That's contentment. Okay? And, um, you know, you have a loved one who dies. And you weep. And there's a certain amount of grieving. We don't grieve like the world grieves. We still grieve. I mean, Jesus wept at Lazarus' funeral, even though in a few minutes I'm going to raise him from the dead. But I'm just looking around what death has done to mankind. I'm looking around at how many people are hurt and all the weeping that's going on. And then Jesus wept. The word there is like he snorted like a horse. Uncontrollable weeping. Um, so we do grieve. But we still, you know, through our tears, we got to look at our neighbor and say, you know what? I'm content. God is good. And I'm going to miss my loved one, but um, God's going to work all things for good. We don't always have to understand God. He's infinite in wisdom. We're finite. But even in the difficult times, Didn't matter whether circumstances were good or bad, Paul could accept it and be satisfied and be content um, uh, through Christ's power. And that's what it means, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a pretty literal translation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you want to capture the meaning of that in English, it would be like, I can survive and thrive in all situations through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, so um, then in uh, verses 14 to 20, Paul tells us to be generous in Christ by talking about the generosity of the Philippians. Starting at verse 14, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. So they, they were sharing in Paul's ministry, not just when he was freely preaching, but even when the dude was locked up. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, in the beginning when he first preached the gospel in that region, when I departed from Macedonia, region to the north of, of Greece and all, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. So there, there was a time when the Philippians were only, it, it'd be like, uh, gee, let's look at our supporters here. And it was just like, just the Philippians, nobody else. Um... You know, we, we help support a village missions pastor and his wife, uh Sam and Rachel Whitaker. Uh but I sure hope they have more supporters than just us. You can't live on what we give. We give a decent amount to them. I even think they said we're we're one of their biggest supporters. But um but when you only got one supporter, that's pretty tough. And uh but that's the way it was with the Philippians. Um uh, at one time they were the only ones uh, supporting him. So, uh, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So even when Paul's preached, these people did not say, well, we'll support his ministry, but what's in it for us? Okay? They were like saying, look, He's preaching the gospel. We're living for Christ. We're building God's kingdom, not our own. So if he's preaching the gospel somewhere else, we're going to support him. Okay? They're not looking at what's in it for me. This was to benefit the Thessalonians. And uh, then Paul said in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. This was very convicting for me when I was with my guys at our Bible study, and they're asking, how come I don't preach on giving too much? I said, well, when the, when the Bible talks about it, I talk about it. And then it dawned on me, so wait a minute, I've got to preach on this this Sunday. And, um, and this is where, where a pastor like me has to be careful. There's two temptations when you're a, a pastor or some type of Christian leader one would be to seek the gift. One would be to get up here and say, "I have you know, my method of preaching, I introduce my subject for five minutes, I cry for 30 minutes, and then I beg for money in the last five. I mean, that's that's horrible. Uh, and, you know, we laugh, but turn on Christian television. I just described 80% of the preachers on television. Uh, Christian radio, we got some good preachers, but... And there's a few good preachers on television, but they're in the minority, okay? So one problem would be seeking the gift. The other problem would be not seeking what abounds, the fruit that abounds to the account of those who give. In other words, if I'm your pastor and I'm trying to help you be all that God calls you to be, giving to God's work is part of your duty as Christians, okay? And um, and so um, it, it's one of those deals where it's just like, look, you know, we're not going to take collections. I don't even look at the who donates to what. If two guys get in an argument in church and one guy's a real big giver and the other guy doesn't give at all, I don't know. I have no knowledge of that. You know, we've got Cease and we've got Olga to handle the books, uh, that's be, that's between you and the Lord, and uh, but Paul here is, is saying, "Look, I don't seek the gift, but I do seek the fruit, the rewards that abounds to your account, the work that is done in God's kingdom through Paul, with the finances of the Philippians, they will be rewarded for that eternal rewards. You know, all if you're saved, you're going to heaven." but there's going to be a different degree of rewards for believe, just as there'll be a different degree of punishments in hell. Verse 18, in, Indeed I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus brought their donation to him And God accepted it. And then he says in verse 19, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's another verse that's taken out of context. People think, wow, God's going to take care of all my needs just because I'm a Christian. No, Paul's making this promise to Christians who support, to godly Christians who support godly ministries. Okay? Um, We'll talk about that. And then he says in verse 20, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, Paul said, look, when I left Macedonia, only the Philippians donated to my ministry. Even when I was in Thessalonica, Paul says, you Philippians sent a gift to me. But Paul's saying, I care more about the Philippians' eternal rewards for giving than for the gift itself. So I would encourage you to give to God's work, whether it be this church or other ministries as well, or feeding the hungry. I would encourage you to give, uh, to give, not for my benefit, but for your benefit, Okay, for the eternal rewards that are there. Now, Paul had received their most recent gift as delivered to him by Epaphroditus. It was an acceptable offering to God. Now, how can human beings offer something to God and God accept it? That sounds like Cain's sacrifice. No, the difference here, the Philippians were believers. You know what God accepts? What offerings God will accept from our hands? Whatever is initiated and led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. Okay? Okay. The only people who are capable of doing that are born-again believers who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Okay, But any, any good work, any work that is acceptable to God, it must be initiated, led, and empowered by the Holy Spirit and for God's glory. And because their offering was acceptable to God, God would meet all the needs of the Philippians. Okay, And so God promises to meet the needs of all who put his kingdom first. Um, in Luke 6.38, we don't have time to turn there. But in Luke 6.38, Jesus says, give and it will be given unto you. Okay? By the standard you give, that's the way it will be given to you. And these are very general promises. Okay? But gen- generally speaking, if you're if you're not giving to others, why should you expect others to give to you? Okay? If you're not a person who's willing to to give, you know, you got brothers and sisters who are hurting and you don't help take care of them, why should you expect others to help take care of you um, when you go through difficult times? Uh, Matthew 6, 33, look at that passage there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. And I just mentioned in the verse before that the Heavenly Father knows what we need. The food, the air, whatever it may be. You put God's kingdom and his righteousness first, and then God will take care of your needs. What you have to understand there, this is is a promise. If you as a believer put God's kingdom first, God promises to take care of your needs. There are an awful lot of professing believers, whether they're true believers or not, I'll leave that for God to decide, and they don't put God first. They don't put his kingdom first, and they wonder why, quote-unquote, God's not meeting their needs. Okay? I'm telling you, if you're not in God's will and you're not putting God's kingdom first, um, God might allow things to explode in your life to catch your attention and for you to recognize your need for him. Okay? Um, But uh, if you're being all that God called you to be, then God promises to meet your needs. Um, Look at Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, we all know about 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, he shall direct your paths. That's, a, that's that, you, know, you trust in the Lord with everything you got, you don't lean on your own understanding, God will direct your paths into that specific will for his life. Um, then you skip down to uh, uh, verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So you're donating to God's work. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Okay? It's a general general principle you support. If you make God the number one priority in your giving, you know, Jesus wants to be the Lord over every aspect of your life, and that includes finances. The Philippians understood that. They made God and his work the priority, and then God promises to take care of our needs. Now, one other passage I want to look at, and then I'll make a few comments there. Malachi 3. Malachi 3, verses 8 to 10. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes, that's 10% of their income, and offerings, that goes beyond the tithes. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He's talking in general to the nation of Israel that if they give to God's work, make God the priority in all that they do, including their finances, God will prosper their nation. So it's kind of a general command. Now, it's also under the Old Testament law. So that's a question I get a lot from people, Is tithing, giving 10% of uh, what you make, uh, is that a New Testament command? Well, it's actually under the law. Now, having said that, both Abraham and Jacob, before the law, hundreds of years before the law, they gave 10% to God. So they kind of set a good example for us. But the Bible teaches if you're saved, you're no longer under law, but under grace. And before you say amen, because the law demands, grace provides. Before you say amen, realize how Jesus interprets us being under grace and no longer under the law. Under the law, it's thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. Under grace, don't even harbor evil thoughts against your brother. Under the law, it's thou shalt not commit adultery. Under grace, it's don't even lust in your, in your mind um, for ladies. Okay? So being under grace, it seems to me that when you're under the law and you're doing things because you have to, because you're required to, because of legalism and all, when you're under grace, it sets you free from that but then voluntarily, because you love the Lord and you love other people and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it makes you capable of going even beyond that. Now, the way, so basically what I'm saying is how you give, what you give to God's service, uh, that ought to be the number one thing on your mind uh, when you get paid, but that's between you and the Lord, we're people of grace, not of law, the way I do it is I try to give 10% towards the work of the church family in which I find myself, and then I try to give. That's my tithes, then my offerings. I go beyond that, and try to help other people. Now, I've known, I've known others that we used to have a guy in a church that made a lot of money, but he would never donate to the church. He'd always donate to foreign missions in India because he was from there. And, you know, one pastor wanted to build an orphanage, he was on a trip out there wrote a check for $35,000, handed it to him. Now, I could have been like, oh, you don't give to our church or this. And it was like, look, taking care of orphans and widows in India? You know, but you go before the Lord and let God lead you, and we're not going to stick a collection plate in your face. Nothing wrong with doing that. We got a box back there. But as your pastor, it's not about what I get. It's not about what the church gets. Um, it's all about you serving the Lord, being obedient, and the Lord being the Lord of your finances, and then God will take care of the eternal rewards there. Okay, And um, and so with the Philippians, they were getting this right. Um, and, uh, and so just keep in mind, you know, and some of us, you know, are having a hard time in one area in our walks and doing well in other areas, just uh, just put God first in all, all that you do. But uh, God tells us to be generous, support the Lord's work, and if you do, God promises to meet the needs uh, of all who put God's kingdom first. Now, when we give, look there at verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. He's talking about the Philippians giving, and then God gets all the glory. So when we give, God gets the glory. This this is like Matthew five, sixteen, also from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five and verse sixteen Let your lights show so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when you do what God's called you to do through the power of the Holy Spirit and for God's glory, God is going to get the glory, not you. Okay? If you're getting the glory, if you're doing the right thing to win the applause of men, you're still outside of God's will. Okay? And, uh, and so when we give, God gets the glory. Now let me say this about God meeting our needs. If you put God's first, God is going to meet your needs, Amen. and normally that means somehow, some way you're going to have enough food to keep you alive till tomorrow, and enough air to breathe, and enough water to drink. Okay, that's kind of in normal times, but in extreme times, if you're having like a Corey Tembo- Temboom move, moment, where you're in a prison camp. For rescuing innocent Jews, and the Nazis have you in a camp. um, Sometimes God meeting our needs. We got to understand that in the end, what's what's the only thing that we really need? Jesus. What's the only thing that cannot be taken away from us? Jesus. You know, and this is say, God. God can take your your money, your all the money that you work so hard for, your house, your car, everything can be taken from you. Okay? Your loved ones can be taken from you. But the one thing that even the most powerful people on the planet Earth cannot take from us is the Lord Jesus. Everything, and I'm going to just close with this, we'll have to finish this next week, but... Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But the only thing that cannot be shaken is the unshakable kingdom of God. So no matter how bad things get, you be giving. If we're starving and eating out of dumpsters and you find a little piece of yucky bread... You share that bread with whoever's next to you. You always be giving. And always be content. And always rejoice in the Lord no matter how bad things get from a, from a human perspective. Okay? Um, you just choose to rejoice always. You choose to be content. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. Don't get too attached to this world and the things in this world. Because if you love King Jesus and you're trusting in him for salvation, you're just passing through. Your citizenship is in heaven. Let's uh, close with a word of prayer.